And it was very simple. He, are you, he asked, are you prepared to spend your own money? I was like, but what's the alternative? Like, I don't, how do you, how do you tell people you're investing in a business and have it be somebody else's money? How do you hold people accountable unless it's your money? And I just looked at him and I just said, I did, like, yeah, I don't, it seems like a ridiculous question. Of course I'm investing my own money. Welcome, friends, to Exec Producer. I'm your host, Noah Pollock. Every episode of Exec Producer offers a deep dive into one of your favorite shows from the point of view of both the producer who dreamt it up and the executive who championed it. Where the idea came from, the hurdles they faced in selling it, and ultimately, how it made it to air and into popular culture. I've worked as an executive at four separate networks, and I've produced and overseen hundreds of hours of television. I've seen the good, the bad, and the ugly, and I hope to share some of that wisdom with you. So settle in, turn it up, and enjoy. And please also remember to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts, and follow us on Instagram at EP with NP. So with that, thank you again, and enjoy the show. Here we are in Marcus Lemonis's warehouse, uh, studio, showroom, what, what do you call this studio? I, 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 an office where a lot of people work, office and I don't know what they do. Well, that's true. There All the people we've accumulated throughout the seasons. There are a lot of people sitting out there. Uh-huh. Yeah, just yep. sitting. Thanks, it's really Amber. quiet. No buzz just whatsoever. <laughs> but it is loud outside because you're in the middle of downtown LA, Fashion District. Yes. I was uh, yelled at by a couple you know, bicycle riders on the way over here. I feel really... Delivering falafel? Probably. Probably, yeah. So they didn't like my aggressive driving. We but can say falafel. It's okay. It's, it's, we're, we're Lebanese. That's right. Yeah, yeah. You have Joe community. Right. Exactly. So, uh, and with Amber Mazzola. And we're here to talk about the show, obviously, The Prophet, as we sit here with, on my left, the, the one and only Marcus, the actual prophet, and Amber, the showrunner and executive producer from, from the get-go. About, yeah. We're going to talk today about a really remarkable show, but I have a feeling that uh, the two of you guys are going to probably cut me off a lot and tell a lot of jokes at each other's expense, from what I'm sensing early on. What is your problem? Mine? Let Noah do his thing. I'm not even talking. You're looking at me. I'm waiting for Noah. To, I'm like waiting for an opportunity to talk, and you're looking at me like I should be This talking. will be the first time that you're waiting to talk. <laughs> okay. I love it. I love it. So we're going to start this like we start all with, uh, with the light bulb and the light bulb for the show. Yeah. And that obviously goes to you here on my left. What's, what's the reason that we did it? Yeah, the reason you did it, the first thought of that you had that you wanted to do it, who approached you, did you approach someone, Yeah, all that. You know, I, I think the intention of the show was a cross between wanting to do a transformation show, but more importantly, to have it be educational. And I think it evolved from there. Um, out of 2008 and 2009, we were going through a terrible recession. All of us were, and we saw a lot of big Fortune 500, Fortune 1000 companies filing bankruptcy, banks closing, you know, the bank crisis, et cetera. And there was not a lot of discussion around what was happening to small business across this country. And over the years, um, I really figured out that the best way to sort of tell the small business story was to do it in a narrative and not have it be a parable, but have teaching lessons inside of practical real life situations. And, uh, I had done an episode of A Secret Millionaire, actually. And uh, at the time, I had a relationship with a guy by the name of Bruce Eskowitz, who was the CEO of Live Nation. And he introduced me to Charlie Ebersol, which happened probably six months after I knew Bruce. And Charlie, I was in the process of uh, wanting to start up a production company, and he had a couple of shows that... I think 
maybe did a pilot or I don't know what it was. And he said, look, there's a lot of people looking for business shows at the time. It was back in 2012. Um, and uh, we set up a number of meetings, saw CBS, saw ABC, saw a bunch of companies. And ironically enough, we ended up um, at CNBC. Wait, I think you're missing some good stuff. Oh. Sorry. This is why you edit. Yeah. Wait, aren't you... How did Eden Gaha, wasn't he part of it? In the early stages of trying to understand how television worked, prior to all this starting, I had talked to Eden Gaha, who um, ended up going to Shine, right? I think at some point. And Eden said, look, Marcus, you're a really nice guy, but I don't think you can carry a show, and I don't think that people are that interested in business transformation. And he wasn't saying it to be insulting. He was just being honest. I think the only way a show will work is if you're, you know, with a cast of people who have a personality and a sense of humor. Ultimately, right, I don't think we knew what the idea was. And when Charlie and Charlie Ebersol and Justin Hochberg um, pitched the idea, they really did a lot of interrogatives with me. Like, what are you looking to do? What do you do? What's important to you? And what was important to me is the authenticity of it all. And what was important is I didn't feel like anybody at the time was actually spending their own money and deals were actually happening. And I also didn't, I like the idea that everything always ended with that move this bus moment where everything works out perfect until the cameras leave and then the people get foreclosed because they can't pay the taxes. And uh, in the early stages of the process, I was dealing with CNBC who was just getting into the primetime programming and Jim Ackerman was the executive there that was brought there from VH1. Um, and I, I felt and while the network understood business, I don't think they understood where business and, and, and small business and entertainment and reality and television all come together. Jim, I think, knows television better than most people. He understands how reality works and he understands how to note an episode to death. Um, <laughs> and the early parts of, of prior to uh, shooting, the early parts of pre-production, I was dealing with Charlie and Justin. When I was brought on to meet with you, it was, it was they were looking for a showrunner, and I was the showrunner. There's a showrunner in every show, and I, you hadn't had one yet. They had more than one show, right? And that's why companies hire showrunners, and I was the showrunner for the first season. That was me. I think that what Amber possesses is the ability to be a chameleon. Um, and I haven't, I've seen it rarely in business, and I think Amber presented the opportunity to really be a chameleon where she immersed herself in, in, in my life and immersed herself into my personality and really started to understand what, what moved me. And I think the first time we ever talked, I was at Daytona uh, for the Daytona 500 weekend. And I thought the call that you and I had was, well. Yeah, it was very, it was very surface level. I think we both talked about that. We were Lebanese and it was like a five minute call. It wasn't much. Well, that was important because if you were not Lebanese, I'm not sure I would have made the second call. Well, okay, right, but she did something, right? Whether it was the she appealed, or she something. Appealed, she appealed to who, to how I thought right out of the gates. And I think, I think that's one thing that differentiates, in my opinion, I think that's one thing that differentiates people that make television is their willingness to immerse themselves, to really understand their character, whether it's scripted or non-scripted, to really understand the subject and how they think and why they think the way they do. And what's important... What's the important story that that subject wants to tell? The network missed that at first. 
Justin and Charlie missed that at first. I remember the first sizzle reel was everything but my personality. Right. Um, and I think Jim noted our first season a little bit. We were watching some episodes yesterday. Not really my personality. I think Amber did a good job of cracking that code. Well, let's step back for a second before Amber was in the picture. Yeah. Um, and you're going out, you're doing all these pitches. Yeah. I mean, was CNBC the obvious choice? You said they weren't really in the game yet. Were they the, did they just think the most compelling offer? As a neophyte to television, I didn't know where the show belonged. But what I knew is that CNBC provided a platform of credibility. And if you're going to make a show about business, this is just a layperson, business, credible business network, right? It's not, not instant credibility, but it's, it's probably easier than trying to climb up the history credibility channel and trying to convince people this is a real business show with real authenticity. And I don't know that many other networks would have allowed the show to breathe. Mm-hmm. And, to, and I think that their knowledge, the network's knowledge, overall knowledge of good days, bad days, I think resonated. Uh, with history me. wanted it. Was it history bad? wanted it really bad. Um, and I ended up just going with my gut that CNBC, while it had, was not in primetime programming at the time, um, I appreciated the sincerity that Mark Hoffman, who's the president of CNBC, and, and Jim Ackerman, who I met with, both had. They said, look, we're just starting out. Like, we, this could work. This could be a total bust. But if it works, it could be really good. And you could be the crown jewel. Yeah, I, I don't know that I feel like yeah. <laughs> no, but I, I would imagine, you know, in, in application from your own business life, right, to go where others aren't. Yeah. I think what I liked is the idea of going somewhere. I wanted to be the trailblazer. And while the network laughs, probably not too loud, when I say things like, The Prophet is the only show still on the network today that was on the network when they started. And they've had a lot of really good shows come and go for a variety of reasons. Maybe it didn't come back. But I do like the fact that we have been their consistent horse. Yeah. Well, and, you know, Jim's not here to speak for himself, but I've known Thank Jim for Thank fucking now. God. <laughs> <laughs> He'll give us notes on this podcast. I definitely. know. Jim, we love you. We love you all. I worked with Jim for many years. I know he has a lot of interesting things to say. Uh, and as you said, very few do know television like he does. But what, I mean, maybe, and this might have been what Eden was reacting to when you originally spoke to him about possibly doing a show. Yeah. But there were a lot of business ideas out there. Certainly none with you in them. What do you think, Jim, really, what was the sell for for him? And I I think the thing that really made the difference for Jim was this idea of somebody spending their own money and not making that the center point of discussion or the center point of negotiation. And it was very simple. Are you, he asked, are you prepared to spend your own money? I was like, but what's the alternative? Like, I don't, how do, you, how do you tell people you're investing in a business and have it be somebody else's money? How do you hold people accountable unless it's your money? And I just looked at him and I just said, I did, like, yeah, I don't, it seems like a ridiculous question. Of course I'm investing my own money. And he didn't press it much further. And I think that was... I think that was the level of authenticity that they were looking for. And they were looking for stakes and they were looking for something different. It wasn't paint and new carpet. Sure. Which is pretty much every other business show. Yeah, and I think the cynic and any reality TV fan, right, is that it isn't your own money. Even all these years later, I'm sure. Yeah. How oh, often do you get asked? Is it uh, your money? Is it your yeah, money? I get asked a lot. And in fact, Forbes is in the middle of uh, what I would call a takedown piece on me. And they have uh, called every business that's ever been on the show... Uh, 
uh, trying to trip them up on whether it's my bit money or not. And how did they get a check? And was it come over in a check? And what account did it come from? And was it a wire? And, and so I actually called them and said, look, if you guys need a, 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 like a directory of everybody that's been on the show, I can give it to you. You don't need to like Google it. Um, but I thought it was interesting that, that five years into it, people are still asking the same question. Oh. Does it like, have you really invested $75 million? It's like, yeah, I have. All right. So they make the show, you have your phone call with Amber, you fall in love and now, you know, enter. No, we didn't fall in love at our phone call. <laughs> no. Uh, Amber? We had a, we, I met him for the first time. We had the CNBC prime launch party. And it was, it was all their shows that they launched the network with Treasure Detectives, uh, Car Chasers, right? And I met you for the first time. And At the Car Museum. The car Museum in, uh, in New York. Yeah. You want to get to the punchline? Because you're dying to The punchline to is he was wearing this like, stupid bow tie. And I'm like, who is this guy? Like, who does he think he is? And I just was like, who are you? Like, you come to this party in New York, bow tie. You, like, who do you think you if are? If I would have had on a regular tie... Would I have blended in more? You probably would have been boring the regular tie. Right. So I wore the bow tie so that I could get everybody's attention. Right. You got it. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't think she would say, what's up with the bow tie? Right. To my face. <laughs> well. But is that ultimately what got you to fall in love with her? From no. From a professional standpoint? Oh, it's, oh not for real? <laughs> Uh, no, actually, no, that's not, that's not what actually solidified our relationship. I think what solidified our relationship is once we started working together, we actually did spend almost every day together. And she would pick me up from the hotel. We would carpool to set. We, would, we were still casting for that season. Um, and I think over time, you know, our relationship just got you know, you talk about your kids and you talk about your families and you talk about your background and, uh, you know, both of us are, are only children and I, I think there's just a lot of commonality between the two of us. She's a know-it-all, I'm a know-it-all. I thought you would have said something different about what you liked. About you? Yeah. Well, I don't want to toot my own horn, but, like, I, don't, I haven't met many people that have the kind of work ethic that you have. Like, his work ethic is, I mean, it's insane. You don't sleep. You don't have an assistant. So you wanted me to fall in love with you because of your work no, ethic? No, I, I think that we have a very similar work ethic. I think that... Well, that's non, what makes it... Non-stop. Us, it's non-stop. And I, I think that a lot of producers do. We all do, right? That's the nature of our business. And I don't know that you... I think that, you're, that you weren't used to that, right? Like, I mean, I'm not being... I'm being real. Like, like Camping World and other businesses you've had, I think it's more... There, there's... There's no 24-hour-a-day. In those businesses, there are. In what? Because that's my, got my handprint on it. In the other businesses... For business, you, not everyone that works with you. No, that's true. But that's not why I feel like our relationship blossomed, because you work hard. I, that was like a prerequisite. I, I think that's probably why you had like respect for me in the beginning and why you... I had respect for you because you did it on your own. Even though I had to drive in a dirty car every day, I had to write, wash me on the window. Yeah, but I mean, but... but it, you know, your work ethic, it, it brings to the point, we've talked a lot about here yeah. about, you know, sort of how maybe other producers, not about Charlie and Justin specifically, but just producers who want to have companies and want to have, they need to have more than one market, they need to have more yeah. than one profit versus the amount of work and elbow grease that you were able to put in yourself, right? Producers that sell a show and you never hear from them again. Certainly executives right. who can't get the producer on the phone or, or vice versa. I mean, Amber, when you, I mean, you just know no other way, I guess would be 
would be would be the point. But to to that point, how many of these kinds of relationships are sustainable for you at any given time as a small company, small business owner? I I have not had this relationship again since. I mean, it's it's a lot of work. I mean, it's it's not work in a bad way, but it's a big time commitment. And it's it's some look the 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 profit. And I think it's interesting. Like I started as a showrunner on this show, and then it became through my company. And I've always felt like I'm still the showrunner on the show because it's it's my baby. You know, it's like it's the show that launched my production company. It's the show that um, has given me an awesome reputation. And um, it's so it's it really is my baby. So I put everything into it. Can I do this with like three other shows? No, I probably couldn't. I mean, I have other shows that I pay attention to, obviously, but ones that I'm like, that. I, I will say this. It, what's interesting about how our relationship, our professional relationship has evolved, because we have a, a very strong friendship separate from work, is that we've, I find ourselves talking more about how she can grow her career probably than we did in the early stages, right? And I'll say to her, like, you can't, we joke about it a lot, but I'll say to her, you can't, you have to focus on other stuff. I know that you want to give me so much of your time, but I said, you know, we have to, dev- I always say we to her, we have to develop other shows. We have to find other talent. We have to like, I'll get on the phone with her, like what are their ideas do we have? As if I, as if I work there. Right, like because, you're a stake in, in Michelle. Yeah, I, I actually feel like I have a stake in that business, not financially, but emotionally, and in her success. <clears throat> and so there's definitely... There's definitely a blueprint of success that we have that may not be replicatable, but it's easily at least mimicked to a degree. <coughs> and I think that's the challenge for production companies today is how do they find the next great idea, but the next great idea is only as good as the talent that goes with it. And I think that, I think that, um, I think that certain networks and certain production companies seem to think that the idea is more important than the talent. And my argument is if you find good talent, and I think you guys would agree with this, if you find good talent, you could craft different ideas around them if they're moldable and if they're teachable and if they're coachable. And I think Amber has done a good job of that. Are you ready to have less Amber in your life, though? I mean, to that point? Uh, I w- I don't, I'm not insecure as, as much as I used to be about having less Amber from a, from a personal standpoint because our friendship is very deep. But I am comfortable with having less Amber from a professional standpoint because to some degree, and I, we, you know, I joke about this, but I really do feel like she's taught me a lot of things about how it works, the nuances. Now, I don't always get it right, but I think what I wanted to do is absorb as much from her as I could, like a sponge, so that I could relieve her of some of the burden. So things that happen on set that normally she would, I, would, I, I feel like I'm, I almost know how she thinks. <coughs> and I'll say to the crew, or I'll say to the story producer on set, hey, we know that we need to get this. I know that you don't think so, but we know what's going to happen when she sees it. We're going to be missing this, so we just need to go get it so I don't have to listen to it. Um, and so I do find myself acting as an agent of her and of myself at the same time, partially because I want her to, to develop other things, and she's done that. I mean, she's, she's had a lot of shows since we've been together, very, very successful shows. Um, but I feel like I don't want to be the burden. Well, I mean, what were your expectations going into this? I mean, clearly not to become a producer. But I didn't. I didn't have any. I didn't know. What were your goals? Why? You know, why do the show? You had a very uh, successful career. Uh, you had a lot of money. Um, I still have. Yeah. Um, <laughs> right, sorry. <laughs> uh, and I will have more. I. Yeah. Not if we keep making episodes. Um, my goal, 
you know, I'm, I'm an educator at heart. And I really saw the show as a vehicle to deliver a sermon or a, or a, a lesson from a syllabus. Uh, and I like the vehicle that it provides. I really do like to pick businesses, uh, as Amber does, that are rich with story. Yes, they have to be a good investment. Yes, I have to be able to make money. Yes, we get all that. But I do like the lessons that it teaches. And in, when Amber and I are out in public, I think we're both surprised by how many people like the show coming from a smaller cable network like CNBC and high school kids and college professors and and people in the fashion world and people in the big banking world. We're surprised yeah. by the spectrum. And I think that has been our motivation is how do we continue to develop a curriculum? At this point, I really feel like we're doing nothing but developing a curriculum. Right, so you're Professor Marcus, basically. Yeah, I do feel that way. And, uh, you know, my measurement for success isn't whether the business made X versus Y. It's did people learn something? Did the business that, that applied and uh, learn something? Did I learn something? And then, yes, as a byproduct, did we make some money? Got it. Okay, so making money for yourself was the byproduct of doing this. It was the byproduct, not the purpose. Interesting. And I think, I think what happened uh, early on, when we first started making the show, I was more open-minded than most would be to invest money in some cases where the odds were not perfect. And there are a lot of other business shows where the, 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 the talent is very concerned about their fees that they're gonna collect, the endorsements they're gonna collect, and how that ultimately works for them financially. And I looked at it totally different and said, if I wanna build a brand, then I have to build a 360 degree brand. That yes, people know that I have these other businesses, but if I wanna be known as a person that can um, uh, change people and change businesses, I'm going to have to take some chances. I'm gonna to have to not keep score in the early seasons. And in the early seasons, I was spending money and there were many days where I was questioning what I was spending. I was like, oh God. But as I, but as I looked at how my professional career grew, and in some cases, my primary business grew because of the show. My brand grew because of the show. My ability to negotiate things with people grew because of the show. I really started to convince myself, and it ended up being true, that I was investing in a campaign. I was investing in a campaign that may take a little longer to pay back, but I was investing in a campaign around helping people and helping small business, and that really became my brand. And as I created this brand, I was able to make money off the show just as much, if not more, than on the show. And so whether it's my relationship with advocating for Chase for small business or T-Mobile or UPS, I really started to monetize that investment. And I really did think about it that way. I said, where other people fail in business investment shows is that they're not willing to play for the long ball. Well, right, and you can't really quantify what you've made from the show at this point. I probably could. I don't, but I probably could because I've, I, of the money that I've invested, if I sold all of it today and I counted for the ones that closed and I lost money on, I would more than double my money. And even more, though, with all the other things you just mentioned. But even, but even more so with the ancillary things that have been created out of the brand being created. And so... I think that, I think... You're welcome. Yeah. Uh, I, think, I think that is really what Amber started to see as well. 
And I, I give her a lot of credit, and I think that's where our friendship developed, where she would, uh, she would act as a guardrail for me. And what I mean by that is her job on paper is to make a television show and make it as entertaining as possible as a professional. But she had to balance that with the personal relationship of making sure that I stayed out of harm's way, making sure that I didn't do things that would be damaging to me. And sometimes I can get in my own way or I could feel like I could solve everything. And she would say to me, yeah, I don't think that one's going to, I think you should rethink it. And so I, I think where our relationship really worked is where I saw that she had a unique fairness and balance to her career and to her friend. And the, what happened in the middle was our show, if that makes any sense. Because she could have just been like, let this guy do crazy shit, I don't care. It's gonna be great television, let him blow things up. And I think she found that balance of saying, we don't need to do that. Right. Well, I, I think you pointed out that at a minimum, these, these businesses are potentially good businesses. And not always. Not okay, but, but I feel like the majority, you know, I mean, on a different show, it would almost never be the case, right? Because you would be driven just by are these people entertaining characters. Right. But she's still driven by those, just that. Well, I, you know, I feel like you have to be able she to watch to the, the 44 or five, you know, five minute show. Like, and be entertained by it, you know? Right, is there, is there like a, a smell test though? You know, and just CNBC, I would imagine, has some sort of philosophy too of, sure. I mean, this business is a joke and yeah. there's no way anyone would ever invest in it. I mean, would you even approach them with those I kinds would, of things? No, but I wouldn't do it. Right. She wouldn't even bring me garbage. No. CNBC does their due diligence as well. You know, they look at something, they yelp a business, they do their, their sort of surface level due diligence. But like now I'm at the point where if it doesn't sort of fall under Marcus's umbrella or if it's something that is just so obscure, I, we won't even bring it to him. You know? Or off-brand. Or off-brand. A good example would be like, um, I did a documentary on marijuana, two documentaries for CNBC, not connected to Amber. And we got a, a flurry of people wanting to invest in this and invest in that to be on the show. Right. And I think Amber was like, yeah, the doc was fine and good, but we're not doing that. Right. That's, not, that's not who we are. Right. Um, and, and I like the fact that she's aware of nine-year-olds and 11-year-olds and 15-year-olds. Yeah. And she was very conscious to say, one, you're not going to invest in that because you're my friend. And two, we're definitely not telling other people this is a good idea. Is that fair to say? Yeah. Alcohol we're careful of? Yes, we are very careful of alcohol. Yeah, it's funny because we've been, one just came up where it was a winery. And it's like, I'm, I'm always like, mm, winery's better than a vodka distillery. But, but it's just still like, I don't know, like, I don't know. I friend. Yeah. yeah. No, I get it. I mean, did you have any sense going into this? And I know, Amber, were you able to sort of soften the blow just how many hours and how many days you'd have to dedicate to each episode? Because you look at a show like Shark Tank, right? They show up to a studio just a conveyor belt, right? I don't know how many days they're there, but they sit in a chair and, and then they go back to whatever their homes are. How many days a week or, you know, per episode, how many days a year do you think you're dedicating to the show, Marcus? More than you would like? I mean, it's a lot. I, let's say we have 20, I, I know he asked you this question, but we have 20 episodes a year, right? Roughly. This is not including the docs you do, not including the extra look back episodes and everything. So 20 episodes times six days per episode, you know, and that's not including interviews. It's a, <laughs> it's a, it's a heavy commitment and it's definitely 
more of a commitment that I had originally anticipated. And it's a commitment that most people think is ridiculous. Uh, I remember that I did a pilot uh, for NBC uh, with Rob Deerdeck and, and Tyra Banks, and it took us three days to make the show, but that's because we were just trying to find the format. And they said to me, oh, once we find the format, we can make this thing like in two days. I was like, two days? And I called them, I'm like, why doesn't it take us two days? She goes, so you could try, but it'll never happen. We're and the challenge for me is that I have, a, I have a regular work life, and so... Amber's had to be really flexible where sometimes I can only shoot at night or I can only shoot on the weekends or I can't shoot at this time or I have other things going on. And I think that's been, it's gotten even harder, I think. Well, by the way, the more episodes we do, more businesses you do that pan out, not only do you have Camp the World and all your hundreds of other, now you have all these businesses from the show that like once the cameras turn off, they keep going in Marcus's world. Like, I'm done with it. But like, you're running the business. Yeah. Yeah, how many businesses... Do you currently over a hundred? Over a hundred, right? And you just said that you dedicate about half your year to the profit. So I dedicate. Yeah, I dedicate. I I would say it's um. Yeah, I would say I dedicate a third of the year. Mm-hmm. Yeah, from 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 how I spend my time, because there's days where I may shoot a scene but I still have the rest of my day. And so it's not like, I I don't lose, I think this is really important, I don't lose all six days. So I can work in the morning till one o'clock or she knows I have something going on and I'll get off at four and go do something. I mean, it's not like I'm 15 hours a day. Uh, And I think that's that's probably what drives us to six, seven, eight days of shooting because there's days where I can only shoot for four hours or five hours. Well, it's also probably what drove you to to, uh, pitch the spinoff. Right? Because yeah. you need you need help. I mean, what sort of help do you have around you? Yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, I have, I, I've broken the businesses down into silos. So I have fashion in one, manufacturing in another, food in another, products in another. And there are people in those silos that help run those businesses. But, yeah. There's not like, you know, there's not like hundreds of people. I think the best way to equate it is like in our business, it's like as when the network hires a producer or a production company, they want that producer. They don't want necessarily the people that they're going to bring in to to run the show. They want, you know, they want that producer. And it's the same thing with him. It's like when Marcus gets it, they want Marcus. They don't want the five people that work under Marcus. And, and, you know, you're being modest, but they want Amber too, right? But it doesn't work that way. Right. It does for the profit. No, but it doesn't. It's not how real life, it's not sustainable. It's not sustainable. No, at some point someone cracks or someone can't do it all. But, it, but, but you know, he hasn't cracked yet. But, but, well, that's not true. He gets pneumonia at least twice a year because he's so overworked. But. If you were evaluating production companies as businesses, would you invest in them? Or do you think that the model is too crazy for all the reasons that we mentioned? I would, uh, I would invest in a production company if they understood where the money really was and that it wasn't anything more than a real estate uh, equipment and an um, uh, efficiency play. Because the budgets, you have to have the creativity. So let's just assume that there's five production companies and they're equally as creative and they're equally uh, uh, um, uh, able to secure good network budgets, right? Either cable or network budgets. The deciding factors for me was how did they think about their cash 
and how do they manage their business and how do they think about their staff and how do they leverage those things across other things and where do they truly find the nickels and the efficiency in the whole model. And Amber and I have had a lot of debates around whether it's the Avids or whether it's the cameras or whether it's the space or whether it's the shoot days or whether it's gang shooting stuff or whatever it may be, of truly trying to find that extra dollar that makes you mildly profitable to wildly profitable. And I think that Amber's gotten better at it. I think most production companies, I think there's probably less than a handful of them that truly have perfected the model with the balance of them not really understanding how to follow the cash. Is that because too many are, you know, um, either only following the cash or only following the art? No, it's like, it's, no, I think it's like saying how many good, how many good artists are good business people. Like most, most great artists are terrible business people. Most performers, actors, actresses, singers, they're not great business people. They're creative people. And I think every production company needs to find that balance between creativity and smart business and how to find an annuity stream. And I think the thing that I like most about Machete is that Amber has over time figured out that the profit is an annuity, which is great. It pays the bills. Now we need to go find where the true profitability lies, which is the second, third, fourth, fifth show that that layer on the real income, the real cash flow. Sure, because she's already invested all this in infrastructure-wise, and then you can... Her, everything she has, personally and professionally, is into this production company. And so the profit is the bill payer. And now we need those extra layers. Well, and many companies and many networks would also look at the shows as commercials, right? It used to be that you sold ad time against the shows. Now the shows, in many cases, are commercials for brands. Your show certainly fits yeah. in that category. You know, CNPC won a piece of the action of all these businesses, you know? I mean, was that part of the deal with Charlie and Justin no, initially? No, I think that when, when we first started talking, when the contract negotiations first started, there was a discussion around that. And my comment was, I'm not in the business of making television and putting it on air and selling advertising. And you're not in the business of dealing with Susie, who owns a small dress shop on Third Avenue. And so if you guys want to swap roles, that's fine. But if, it's, if I'm putting up 100% of the money, I'm not having this discussion. If you guys want to co-invest with me and put up real dollars on a side-by-side -side basis, I'm open to that idea. Uh, but... There, there was no... It would also take away some of the magic and authenticity of the show. Yeah, I mean, what would, so what are you telling the business owner that a network's investing in their television and their business? It's just not... Who are they going to call? Are they going to call the president of the network to talk about payroll? I mean, sure, go ahead. It's not going to happen. <laughs> no. Well, you can call. You just might not get an answer. Yeah, I think, I think where, the, where, where Amber and I have been more conscious than probably other production companies is to ensure that we're giving the network a product they can sell against, giving them content they can sell against, and making ourselves available for integration type things or event type things where we do a lot for their advertisers because we know that that's how the game is played. And I think most people have criticized both Amber and I that we don't have our hand out, saying you guys are selling all this ad space and doing all these integrations. And our philosophy is, the network takes the first bit of risk by putting the budget on the table. They take the first step of risk, whatever the dollar amount is for the budget. Then I take the second set of risk by investing in the business 
And Amber takes the third set of risk by matching us together and taking on the liability that comes with making the show and the network not necessarily wanting any of that, you know, that, that liability. And so there's a, I think there's the appropriate amount of risk sharing that goes around and there's the appropriate amount of uh, reward that goes around. And I really am conscious of making sure that it stays balanced for Amber, for the network, and for me, because if it ever becomes imbalanced, the show stops. If anybody ever feels like they're not getting their fair shake, if she doesn't feel like she's getting paid, she'll stop making it. If I don't feel like it, I'm and so forth. And I think that somebody has to do that. I don't know the production companies spend enough time on the thesis of shared risk, shared reward. Right. And there's no national advertisers, you know, participating in your show. I mean, have you ever thought yeah, about is. oh, as 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 brands that you've taken over, you've invested not in not not oh, buying oh. commercials. I mean, you've never done an episode on okay, we're a national advertiser. Marcus, come save us. Oh, no, that's no, what no, I meant. No, yeah, no, yeah, no, no, no. Of course, you know, buying commercial yeah. time, and because the show wouldn't work, right? It's small business, not big yeah, business, right? Right. Yeah. All right. So I was um, wondering when people are going to get tired of it, though. You know, I definitely, that's the thing that has definitely stayed in my mind. Like, when does a viewer get tired of seeing a business get saved? When are they like, yeah, we've seen it. I don't know. In today's climate, I don't think that, that someone gets tired of that. Yeah. I don't know. Really? Hopefully by the time you've moved on to your next thing. Why don't people get tired of it? It's always changing. Because the different. businesses are different. Yeah, it's a and new they're business, learning. new problem, new situation, new city, new... Well, and you watch an episode of your show, right? Are you watching it for the business you know, education? Are you watching it because you like family drama? Are you watching it because you're a great personality? There's so many different ways into the show. I don't answer that. I think that no, but I think that no is right. I think there's different ways that you watch a show. Right. For sure. And different people watch it for different things. Which is why I think that you need a blend of, of business lesson and drama and conflict. You know, I think you need everything in the show. Yeah, which is why casting matters. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So, but to that point, I mean, what is next, right? You could continue to make 20 episodes... 30, 30, however many episodes you know your schedule can afford here. You mentioned the NBC pilot. I know you had the spinoff. I mean, how how many days a week can you make television? Do you guys have a lot of ideas together that you haven't hatched yet? So I think you know I think that um, I think that Amber and I have spent a good amount of time in the last six to eight months thinking about what is next. I think as good business people, we have to be thinking about that in anticipation that. You want to you want to end one one chapter of your TV career in good standing. You don't want people on a to high be, note. On a high <laughs> note, yeah. And I think you have to really think about what is chapter two, and how do you do that in a way that's respectful to all the current parties and the potential future parties. And and that's uh, that's that's I think the the paradigm shift right now that we're thinking about is what do we do next? Part of the reason why we. Uh, started with this new look back concept and I wanted Amber to be a part of it is because I think people need to understand it's almost like and somebody wrote an article about it it's really the first time I can think of on television where we're having a producer and the talent break the wall together for people what actually happens how does it actually work what are the funny things that happen what are the bad things that happen and I think what what we're seeing as generation two is how do people understand our dynamic? How do people understand how uh, things really get made and how they get done and how do we share that? And I think that this, this concept that we're doing now for look back episodes, um, we call it a spinoff, but it really isn't. It is a way for us to find our next groove. 
don't you think? Well, sure, if you think my next groove is to be on the show with you, you've got another thing coming. Yeah, but for anyone who hasn't seen it yet, what they're referring to... But you're doing to, 20 episodes. I yeah. know. Yeah, what they're referring to is these episodes which just launched where it's Those like are a great episodes. director's yeah. commentary, yeah. right? And you guys do this look back and Amber, you posted all those great videos and I recommend anyone to go check them out and embarrass Amber. <laughs> but I think it's good if you're if you're in television or you watch television to understand that the, the, the push and pull that goes on between the person on the show and the person responsible that owns the show and, and how that dynamic works. And the lines are very blurry between harm's way and good television. And I love that there, Marcus, there's someone that you'll actually answer to some of the time. Some of the time. I yeah. answer to you all the time. Did you tell him Not that? Not all the time. Really? Give it's me an example. It's also very difficult to tell someone give me how an to example. spend their money. Too. Uh, 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 <laughs> give me an example of when I don't listen to you. I think you love when I'm not on set because then you get to like not not listen to whoever's there which in, a, in some respect is not listening to me like if i give someone direction and i'm not physically there i don't think that you'll do it all the time i won't do it any other time right so so, so that's the way he doesn't listen to me that's the way he'll be like oh oh because instead of her actually calling me and saying this is what i want she'll call one of her subordinates and have them deliver it to me <laughs> It's like, the wait a producers minute. producers of the show, yes. We're peers. So Her funny. and I are peers. And now it'd be like me telling one of my employees to tell Amber that I can't come to set today. That's so not true. It's so not I'm going to start doing that. But Amber, which is why Amber can't spend less time with you. No. She yes. can. She just can deliver the message to me and not try to avoid conflict and fighting. We, the fight that we have the most is whose show is it? Yeah, yeah. But by the way, I joke. With, I joke with you. I know that this show doesn't happen without you. So yes, it's your show. <laughs> like, I totally joke with you. I mean, Are you saying that because he's recording this now? No, we recorded it on camera a different way. I'm just saying that it's this show doesn't happen without you. There's no other Marcus that comes in. And there's no other Amber. Oh, thank you. I appreciate that. But I love it. So sweet. I hope you guys hug at the end of this. That would make me so happy. But <laughs> uh, so the listeners of the show, they listen for the advice. Yeah. And one question I've been asking everyone, because there are a lot of young people in the business coming up who listen to this, who really want to get this sort of masterclass perspective yeah. on how to make and sell a show is advice, advice for your younger self. And so I will pose that question to you, Marcus, even though it's not TV specific, but let's start with the TV advice here, Amber, 25 year old Amber, what were you doing when you were 25? And you know, what would you tell, what would you tell young Amber, you know, if you had that, you know, DeLorean and could go back and give her advice for where the market is today, TV, what would what advice would you give her, you know, pursuing a, a role in television? I was doing something kind of a little different. I my 25-year-old self, I was writing sitcoms, but I would say Which ones? Um, I started at Carsey Warner Productions and I was writing, well, I did a show, not for Carsey Warner, but I did a show called Dag with David Allen Greer and Delta Burke for NBC. Um, did a few pilots for Carsey Warner. And then the Writers Guild strike hit, and so I went over to reality. But my younger self is, I think I was just very narrow-minded, and I wanted to do one thing, and I wanted to be a writer, and that's all I wanted to do. And I think that the business has changed so much, and went to, you know reality became huge, and now digital's huge. And I would say to my younger self, just do it all and don't be narrow-minded and just be kind of ready to explore everything you know and I feel like now I'm trying to get into digital and I'm trying to like but like Marcus said like buy equipment I'm just trying to do many different facets of the business um I just wouldn't be so narrow-minded and, and think that like there's only one way 
to get somewhere. I think there's several ways to get somewhere. What were you doing when you were 25, Marcus? I was 25, I was working at a company called AutoNation. I was in the car business. Uh, and you know what's funny? I, I see a ton of similarities between being a business owner and owning a production company, which is also a business. And I think the number one piece of advice that I would give somebody who owned a production company is to spend the bulk of their time, the bulk of their time, uh, developing a stable of people. And I don't mean people that work there. There's, there's so much is driven by content and talent. And to really find people that you can create around and that make sure that those people have, uh, they're, very, they're very much multidimensional. And they understand technology, social media, they understand how to uh, engage with people on the street, they understand how to be a good listener, they understand how to be a good orator, to really develop a stable. And I think too often, my opinion only, okay, is that production companies are trying to create ideas without people and then find the people to go into them. And I know that there's plenty, including Amber, that maybe do it the reverse. But as I have met people over the years, I have this idea, I have this idea, I have this idea. It's like, I'd rather hear, I have this person, I have this lady, I have this man, I have this family, and then have that be the jumping off point. And I think if you are constantly looking to meet new people and find new people and meet them in the oddest and strangest of places and not be so stereotypical, um, then I think a, a, uh, it could be successful. At some point, um, you know, I probably would anticipate that I would get into this business, but I would get into it with somebody like Amber who understands the creative pieces that I don't, but doesn't necessarily understand, and this is no slight against Amber, doesn't necessarily understand the recruiting and the talent side like you have to in business. Um, it's no, bus no different than building a company. You need that staple. And I don't think that production companies today do that. So what would your advice be for a non-television entertainment focused 25 year old? You know, if you just go work for somebody else first. Uh, uh, what I want to see young people do today is work for somebody else before they work for themselves, no matter how talented, how wealthy, how connected, so that you can truly understand what it feels like to be accountable and what it feels like to be treated well, what it feels like to be mistreated. So that if you ever get yourself into a position of authority, managing or owning something, you have some sort of um, uh, muscle memory on how to or how not to behave. And I think you get young kids today, millennials, that want to just own the world and be the boss. And there are steps required, not because you have to pay your dues, but because you have to gain that experience. And I think the lack of experience hurts people. I agree. Tell when someone's faking it. Yeah. Well, you're helping a lot of people. We're trying. In this office, there can only be one boss. Right? That's Amber. <laughs> and plenty of people sitting around doing nothing. Yeah, so plenty of people. You sitting should go out and uh, go crack that whip. Go crack it. One of one two of you. Thank you. I love this conversation. I really appreciate both of you. Thank you. Thank you. This is fun. Tuesday nights, 10 p.m. Shameless plug. You got it. And if you're an Emmy voter, I don't know when you're airing this, but we. Uh, got our Critics' Choice nomination last year, and Amber and I uh, talked to a psychic five years ago who said we would never win for the profit. <laughs> I'm okay not winning, but I will tell you that it sounds super cheesy, 
but I have, when we went to the Critics' Choice uh, thing, it was in some small way, I think her and I re-reveled in that moment because it was, it's a small level of validation from your peers that the work that you're doing means something. Right. You don't have to win, you don't have to, but just somebody saying, you know what? I know it's on a small network and I know it's not the best looking, physically looking show and I know that it's not cut together perfectly all the time and that is what we love about it. And I think, I think, it's, um, I think it's good to recognize things that are different. So if you're nominated, you don't want to win? I, I've told you this before. I know, <laughs> I, I know that we have zero chance of ever winning because Mark Brunette runs the table by getting all of his people to vote for The Voice and Shark Tank, it's so fucking obvious to me, but I'm okay to be in the same room. <laughs> you mean to? I'm okay to be in the same room with Art Burnett. I think a lot of people would be. Yes, everyone's okay with that. Pretty soon he'll be making the show anyway, because he's buying every company in town. That's true. So. That's true. Is your company for sale? Let's not talk about that. <laughs> Is that a yes or a no? No. Okay, there we go. Until it is. Thank you very much. So there it is, the true story of The Prophet. Thanks to Greg Mercer for creating our show art, and to Chris Carmichael for composing our music and for all things technical. You can find their respective work at gregorymercer.com and christophercarmichael.com. Thank you to my guests, Marcus Limonis and Amber Mazzola, and to my wonderful family for all of their help and support. Also, please do subscribe to Exec Producer wherever you get your podcasts, and follow us on Instagram at EP with NP. And since collaboration is at the heart of this project, I'd love to hear from you, the listeners. Please reach out with what you liked, what you didn't like, and any ideas for future episodes. So thank you again for listening, and please come back next time. I'm your host, Noah Pollock. Choose kind. Choose kind.